Hi everyone, welcome to Meet the Masters. I'm your host, Robert Allen. Today's Meet the Masters is a special one as we take you to Philadelphia where we hear from the wedding experts in the Philadelphia area who share with us their tips about getting married in the city of brotherly love. We'll hear from Mark Kingsdorf, who's with Queen of Hearts Wedding Consulting. Mark has many years of experience in planning weddings in the Philadelphia area, and he shares really some great information with our listeners, especially this really great tip he had about how to enjoy your wedding cake. You'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. We'll also hear from Molly Rothgary, who's the Director of Public Relations at the exquisite Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Center City. And then we'll hear from Carmen Tomasetti with CTO World Entertainment, one of the foremost orchestra companies in the Philadelphia area. We'll also speak with Daniel Briones of the Four Seasons Hotel in Center City, one of the only places where you can actually have an outdoor ceremony and cocktail hour right in the middle of the city. But first we start off with Carrie Denny, who is the editor-in-chief of Philadelphia Elegant Weddings Magazine, who happened to be celebrating their 10th anniversary as a wedding publication. And I sat down with Carrie and I asked her why it's so special to get married in Philadelphia. Well, it's kind of interesting because, like you said, in Philadelphia there there is so much history. And a lot of brides who grew up here, when when they get married, all of a sudden become very proud of that history and feel all, you know, rah-rah, Philadelphia. And it's kind of interesting because it comes out in a lot of ways. Maybe they have the Philadelphia skyline on their invitation or something. But it's interesting. I don't know if that happens in other cities. People really want to tie Philadelphia into their weddings. So knowing that, um, it was kind of interesting. We started to realize that some landmarks around the city you could actually use as a wedding venue, and, and maybe they weren't places that people would have realized that before. The first one we have in the article is 30th Street Station. Well, that's the main hub of the city where you you know get your Amtrak trains to Washington and New York and everything, but you can actually rent out this fabulous building to have your wedding there, you know, and it's got gazillion foot ceilings and these windows, and it's just this beautiful architectural building um, and you can actually have your wedding there so so when I signed this article I wanted our writer to uh, to round up all these sorts of places that were in the city so that you know readers who who love their city and wanted to incorporate it somehow might go oh oh I could actually have my wedding there now what I find interesting is you know 33 station is, has been around since the early 1930s you know has it always been available for for someone to get married in you know, who knows? I, I, I bet it has. I mean, I would imagine they've had events there. For, I mean, it's always been that large. It's always been that beautiful. So, um, you know, as specific for weddings, that's kind of what I wanted this writer to find out was how does that all work there? So that's that's what we have in the article. I don't know how long. Maybe you could have had your wedding there maybe forever. Now, you know, it's it's really kind of interesting how this has, has become a trend to kind of pick spots that you would never really, you know, think of to have uh, a wedding in. But, you know, a lot of these places, once they close for the day, you know, if it's a museum, for example, closes at 5 o'clock, mm-hmm. you know, it, there's all this time. And, and, you know, what are brides saying about these types of venues? Are they, are they interested in doing something out of the ordinary like that? I think they are, um, because when our writer spoke to, you know, events or catering managers at each place, they all had something kind of specific to their own venue, brides like this. The Franklin Institute that's in Philadelphia, everybody knows the Franklin Institute, Ben Franklin. You know, we're all about him in in this city. Um, Apparently all the brides like to get their picture taken with the huge heart the beating heart that's in there. Now, I, that would never occur to me, <laughs> but apparently that the woman said the brides love that. You know, um, at another venue, like the, the Kimmel Center, well, that's a performing arts center, but there's so many different places in it that you can have your wedding. And, you know, the, the, the woman at the Kimmel Center said they like to have the wedding on the second tier and look down at the first so you can people watch at the wedding. You can have it on the garden um, oasis that's encased in glass on the roof and stuff. And there's something specific about every venue. Oh, the um, the Union League of Philadelphia, very historical, you know, old club. Um, it's right on Broad Street, and every bride 
wants to get their picture taken on the little divider in the middle of you know, very busy Broad Street. So if you get married at the Union League, you kind of have to get that done. There's like, there's something very Philadelphia about each venue that, that brides like to incorporate. Now, I would imagine, though, some of these, as, as wonderful as they are, pose some challenges in terms of having a wedding in that particular location. Do any of these locations charge a fee to have, you know, over and above to have a wedding there? Um, yes, yeah, some charge a fee. I mean, it's, it, you know, it would take a while to run through the list of all the different specific things. But um, for each venue, there are different things you have to think about. Obviously, one of them is a train station. You know, um, you kind of have to divide yourself off from people. And, the, you know, the people at 30th Street Station have ways to do that. You have to consider size, um, depending on what room in each venue you want to you want to have it, you know, some hold 800 people, but others might only be able to seat 150. Um, some had hours restrictions. I believe the National Constitution Center, um, I think you do have to wait until that closes, you know, and then you have to be out of there at two or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, you might have to worry about that kind of thing a little bit more if you're going to pick a venue like this as opposed to just, you know, a hotel or a ballroom or whatever. But, um, you know, it's it, they're not awful limitations. And if you want to have your wedding somewhere like this, I, I think you'd find it's probably worth it. And I think one of the big benefits of doing something like this, especially if you're going to uh, be in a place like the Franklin Institute, would be that your guests, you know, would be able to enjoy the, the space itself mm -hmm. and, and the exhibits and things like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know actually in the Franklin Institute, there's several different areas within the museum that you can have your wedding. And I think you could get married maybe in the planetarium and they'll they'll chart the stars for you above like what the stars looked like the night he proposed to the night. I mean, it's who thinks of this? <laughs> but, you know, like and, and so then you can have the cocktail area in a different area and you can really utilize the whole space and the people, you know, each venue will tell you how you can do that. But it's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, something you mentioned earlier about photographs uh, in thinking about the city. What are some of the, the spots that have become favorites of, of couples to have their photographs taken around the city? Um, Broad Street is a really big one. The backdrop is City Hall, which is a beautiful old building. Um, I mean, I, couldn't, I can't even tell you the amount of photos I've seen of couples who have their picture taken there. Um, you know, the Art Museum steps as, you know, kind of painful and cliche that can be due to, you know, Rocky and all that business. You know, they're fun pictures, whatever. They like to do that. I actually know of one couple who, you know, met up with each other in their bridal party two hours before the ceremony and hopped in a limo and went to all these different places around the city and got their picture taken. You know, there's Rittenhouse Park, which is just beautiful, and there's all these landmarks. Another uh, really uh, great article uh, in the magazine, um, and, and something probably a lot of people don't think about when it comes to choosing their flowers, but the article is called Flowers for Night and Day. Mm -hmm. um, talk a little bit about the inspiration for this article. Our writer, Sandy, actually came up with this article. She knows a lot more about flowers and all that kind of stuff than I do. Um, and it's kind of funny because it sounds like an obvious idea. Of, of course, things look different at night. They look in the day. And she even says in the article, well, not to be too obvious about it, but lighting is very different. But then she spoke to a lot of really great Philadelphia area florists about everything that that begins to incorporate. And, you know, it's not just lighting, it's colors. It's actually um, type of bloom. Obviously, there's no rules. You can have whatever flower you want, you know, whatever time of day you get married. But they mentioned some, some differences between those two things, um, differences that they will do with night as opposed to day, you know, um, sparkles are great at night because flickering candlelight really plays that up. Um, orchids with all those little dots in the throat and stuff might get lost at night, though, because the lighting's not the same. So there really actually are things, once you talk to people who know what they're doing, who, uh, you know, that, that there really are things to consider about this. Right, especially if it's going to be a, a more, you know, if it's, you know, if it's a night wedding and it's more formal and, mm -hmm. and your linens are, are you know, of, of a certain type, uh, you know, the flowers would have to kind of match that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the linens might be darker, more elaborate, patterned, sparkly, jacquard, that's how you say that, that sort of thing, as opposed to, you know, checkered 
linen, which would be more daytime type thing. And, and they even talked about, you know, specific blooms, architectural type flowers are, are more formal. And so that kind of lends itself to night, calla lilies, orchids, amaryllis, that sort of thing. Whereas um, poofy flowers, if you will, roses, hydrangeas, peonies, um, have a kind of like lighter daytime feel to them. Well, it's, you know, it, it certainly I encourage our, our listeners to check the magazine out because, you know, I mean, the photography, I mean, it's just a beautiful magazine. And, and uh, the photography, especially for that article, is really um, quite beautiful. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other um, features uh, in the magazine. And there were some special things that you guys did, uh, being that it was the 10th the uh, anniversary issue. But there is a, a, a Body Beautiful article as well in here. Yes, well, that... I mean, brides want to look good in the dress, first and foremost, let's be honest. So what that article is about, we took your four most visible parts for your wedding dress, which is really your back, your legs, your butt, and your arms. And we talked to area experts, both in the spa industry and um, trainers, workout experts and and got both exercises that you can do at home and classes and spot treatments that are really going to make those areas of your body look great. And another uh, interesting piece that you did uh, was to kind of do a survey for some of the best of the best in um, in, in weddings. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about this piece? Okay. Um, yeah, this was very specific to our 10th anniversary. We wanted to do um, something kind of out of the ordinary that we didn't always did. So um, what we did was we had a list of 10 things, um, 10 items that have to do with your wedding, from rings, flowers, lingerie, spa treatments, registry items, you know, first dance song, all that sort of thing. And what we did was get together a list of experts in the Philadelphia wedding industry, um, you know, people that we've talked to for years for different articles and, and whatnot. Um, and we called them and we said to them, hey, what do you think is the prettiest flower arrangement for a wedding? What do you, what do you think is the best cocktail? And, I mean, it's strictly their opinions, but what's cool is that they're the experts in the, in the Philadelphia wedding industry. So brides who aren't necessarily using those vendors, I mean, or even if they are, um, could read this article and say, oh, here, here are all these opinions from, you know, the best in, in, in Philadelphia. And it, it's just kind of cool to hear all their different things. Like, you know, one might say, well, calla lilies make such a, a beautiful, a beautiful monochromatic um, centerpiece and others, you know, might have something completely different from that. So it's, it's not saying here's the best, but it's, it's rounding up what everybody thinks is the best. Thanks, Carrie, for sharing all of that great information with our listeners. And of course, we will have a link to Philadelphia Elegant Weddings Magazine in the show notes for this podcast. So make sure that you come and check that out on our website. Next, we were off to the Four Seasons Hotel, Logan Square in Center City, Philadelphia. And the Four Seasons Philadelphia is one of the only places where you can actually have an outdoor ceremony right smack in the middle of the city. It's really a great spot that they've got there. And as a matter of fact, I have shot weddings myself at the Four Seasons in Philly, and I actually set up a time-lapse camera for one of my weddings right there in the courtyard of the Four Seasons where they were setting up for the ceremony, and I had the time-lapse camera there for the setup and for the ceremony and for the breakdown, and then I put that together and sped that up and, and put that into the final edit, and it was really a hit for my couple and it, you know if you're thinking about having an outdoor ceremony and you want to get married in philadelphia in a hotel this is just about the only place that you can go and do that and i sat down with daniel who is the director of catering there at the four seasons and i asked him to share with us some of his tips about how to start out when you're planning a wedding at a hotel such as the four seasons well i think first first uh the most important thing is to Look at venues that you know fit within your budget guidelines. Um, it's certainly not in, not advantageous to set yourself up for a high standard that perhaps is not within your budget. So definitely know what is within the means of your budget and 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 look within that area. Um, not to say that something that is out of your reach couldn't be negotiated if it fits the right pattern, if it fits the right date. If you look at an off-peak date like a Friday or a Sunday, certainly there are some options um, that can be available to you that could reduce pricing and, and, and fit you within it, within uh, 
the venue that, that, that might normally be out of your budget, but definitely know what your budget is before you go out and start looking. Okay. So that, that, you know, you bring up an excellent point. I think that if, if a couple does want a particular venue that might not be in their initial budget, would you recommend that flexibility in terms of actually, you know, when and where would, would help them fit that in? Absolutely. Flexibility in the time of the day, flexibility in the day of the week, and flexibility in the season. Because while you couldn't perhaps fit into a Saturday in June, you might be able to fit into a Saturday in July or August, because that would be considered non-peak, um, certainly in Philadelphia. Okay. So, and, and that's very interesting, because if you look at wedding statistics, July and August are the busiest months nationwide on average to get married. So what you're saying is, though, in, in the summer, would be a, considered a more value season for booking a wedding here? Absolutely. Both uh, July, August you know, being summer months and then January, February being winter months um, would be the, really the only downtimes uh, for, for weddings in this particular market. Okay. So that's just, you know, that's good for our, our listeners to know because w- what we always find recommended, especially by, by wedding planners, is that if someone wants to get a hold of the budget, you get a hold of the guest list. You know, when you can control your guest list, you can control the overall budget. So this is another way then uh, in terms of scheduling when the wedding is to maybe maximize uh, your budget, you know, in doing that. Uh, so that's, that's really great to know. Now, let's talk about the experience of, of getting married in a hotel. Uh, what are some of the, the reasons you think that a bride would choose a hotel wedding over another type of wedding? So many reasons, um, particularly if you're looking at a, at a luxury hotel such as ours, um, the, the amount of services that are available to you throughout the whole wedding weekend are endless, um, starting with, of course, the, the opportunity for overnight guest rooms. Um, most weddings have a number of guests who come from, from out of town, and there's a need for overnight guest rooms. So um, that's probably the primary reason why most people do tend to get married in hotels. Um, if you're looking at having your ceremony at, at the hotel or at the, same, at the wedding venue, um, that makes makes it so much easier for for not only the, the the wedding couple but for the entire bridal party. You don't have to provide transportation. You're not having to move them from one end of the city to another. Um, you know, there, it's an elevator right away in most cases to get from from their guest rooms to the ceremony and then walking right into your cocktail reception, which should immediately follow. Right, right. Well, y- you know, in thinking about a, a hotel wedding, you know, here we are in, in Center City, Philadelphia. Uh, and, you know, you think about a bride who says, well, you know, my vision was to be able to get married outside. And if I come to Center City, Philadelphia, you know, how can I do that? It's, you know, the concrete jungle. Um, but there's a, a unique opportunity here at the hotel uh, to have an outdoor wedding. Talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. Actually, the Four Seasons is the only venue in the city, uh, particularly hotel venue, that provides you with an option to have not only an outdoor ceremony, but an outdoor cocktail reception um, all in one inclusive area. We have a beautiful gardens area that is surrounded um, by fountains and and beautiful landscaping, um, which sets an amazing backdrop for, for ceremony. You can walk up a few a few steps onto our terrace area where we could then move right into your cocktail reception and then move indoors to the ballroom for your dinner. So it's it, the ease is, 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 is absolutely there for you. Right. So that, you know, if a couple really has, you know, in, in mind, uh, they should explore, you know, options of being able to incorporate both, you know, inside and, and outside opportunities. Exactly. And in addition to that, I think what makes it even uh, more effective for you is should there be inclement weather and you need to go to a backup option, you're not having to erect a tent, you're not having to um, uh, contract another building, you move right into our ballroom, which is what would be available to you for your backup space. Right, right. Now, let's talk about um, the, the, the reception itself and how couples today are designing their rooms. Are you seeing uh, any trends, any move away from traditional table settings to something maybe a little bit uh, more out there, you know, stretching the limits? Well, what types of things are you seeing? Um, seeing a lot of a lot of very contemporary, um, somewhat whimsical um, designs. I mean, there's definitely still the demand for for the very traditional, the white wedding, the the you know the the the, the you know the big you know ornate arrangements with with roses and such. Um, but definitely, there's a, there's a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of more whimsical that's incorporated into into designs. Um, a lot of uh, arrangements where each table is different. Um, you have different linens um, on, on 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 various tables. Uh, of course, all combining into one 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 particular look. Um, but every table isn't necessarily looking the same. Okay. Are you seeing any um, 
changes in uh, sizes of tables. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of weddings lately where people are going to, to long tables, uh, things like that. Are you seeing any, any movement in that direction? Uh, absolutely. Definitely seeing, seeing rectangles and oval tables, square tables are still very popular. Combining round and square tables is very popular. Um, not necessarily doing the traditional just round table. And, and I think that's a really nice way of incorporating some self-expression. It's, you know, you don't have to have that, you know, the 10 rounds or the 15 rounds anymore. You can mix it up. And, and what you're feeling, how does the room look when you see that? I think it shows a different character, a different dimension, I think is always interesting for your guests, particularly if you go into a venue that's a very popular venue that guests have been to perhaps more than once or have attended various various affairs at. It's nice to have to have your guests walk into the same room that they've been to before and see a completely different look, see your 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 uh, personality come out in, in that particular event. And, and also that you don't necessarily do the same layout that everybody does as far as where the band is placed, where the dance floor is placed. Um, you have the flexibility to work within a certain space and do with it whatever you want to do with it and work with the uh, the design professional and the, the hotel professional to come up with a look that is uniquely yours. Now, in talking about that type of, of arrangement, how does that affect cost? Does if, if a bride decides to do, you know, three different shaped tables throughout her room, does that affect the overall cost of, of, of doing the wedding? It certainly can, um, but I don't think that it necessarily always does. Um, it just It's going to depend on the capacity that you're working with, the space that you're working with, and what fits and what doesn't fit. Obviously, the more tables you have, the more table arrangements you need. But the less big tables you have, the bigger arrangements you need. So they, they, for the most part, that tends to balance out. Um, using different linens on different tables, I mean, you're still using a linen, so it's not as though you're paying more for one linen or the other necessarily. Um, while you may, they, again, they, they, they should generally balance out. Okay. Now, let's talk about what, you know, is, is uh, a hit at, at the reception. We, you know, we think about food at a wedding. Um, what are some things, I know cocktail hour is, you know, in my experience, people love cocktail hour. They love, you know, finger foods, uh, variety. Uh, what are some interesting things that, that you're seeing in terms of food choices, especially for cocktail hour? Um, cocktail hour is still, I think, the most interesting fun, and, and I think guests still find that to be the most interesting and, and, and the, the place that uh, they tend to, uh, to enjoy the most during a wedding. Um, I'm finding definitely a, 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 a bigger emphasis on quantity of food at a cocktail reception, um, heavier food at the, at, the, at the cocktail hour than perhaps a lighter dinner when, when your guests are seated. Um, past foods, um, and, and not, not just past hors d'oeuvres, but past uh, individual tasting plates, uh, past um, parfaits of, of, of like seafood parfaits, um, it, you know, a, a, an item that may normally be found on a station that is brought to you in a vessel that's, that's unique and clever that you, you take two bites from um, rather than going to a carving station, so to speak. Um, certainly reception stations are still very popular. Um, we, we, do a, we do a few here that, uh, that, that stand out. Our Peking Duck Station is, is, is always a, a real popular station. Um, lamb chops are always the, the, popular, the popular carving station. So those classics still exist. Um, and also um, whimsical foods, um, uh, passing little miniature hamburgers, um, little miniature corn dogs, um, mini anything really is really quite fun uh, at a cocktail reception. Uh, now, in, in a hotel like yours, uh, you know, the first thing that, that comes to mind when I think about, you know, what sets it apart is the level of service that, that you get. When a couple is looking at a venue, at a hotel especially, uh, what kind of, of ratios are there uh, in terms of, of service and, and when you're, you're dealing with guests? What should a couple be looking at in, in terms of that type of ratio? Well, ratios are going to vary based on the, the, the style and level of hotel that you're at or, or venue that you're at. Um, certainly at a Four Seasons or luxury hotel that, that you would go to, you, you should expect and demand a, a higher uh, level of service. Our, our ratios for service are traditionally one per ten guests, uh, one server per ten guests at an event. Um, your, your tables are typically set for eight to ten, ten guests, so essentially one server per, per table, um, an appropriate number of bars being available, 
um, for the number of guests that you have. Um, you know, there's no correct answer for what that should be. It's, it, it's going to be based on your entire menu and, and, and beverage selections. Um, but as a rule, we staff one bartender per 50 guests. Um, so if you had 200 guests, you'd have four bar locations, four bartenders. But, you know, but that might also translate into two double bars um, with four bartenders and multiple passive beverages. And um, you may have a, um, you know, a specialty bar that needs its own attendance separate from everything else. So it's going to obviously depend on, on your overall um, menu and, and beverage selections. But, but just as a general rule, definitely expect higher levels of service and demand higher levels of service when you're at a luxury property. Right. What's your best advice to, to couples uh, in, in planning their wedding. What's one little tidbit you can share with our listeners uh, that might help a couple get through the experience of planning a wedding with a little bit less stress and a little bit more knowledge? Um, definitely planning your wedding should be great fun. It should not be hard work. It should not be stressful. Uh, you certainly are going to be doing something that you, that you perhaps have no experience doing. Um, so consult Consult professionals. Consult professionals in, in all areas, whether it be the, the entertainment, the videography, the, the, the food and beverage selection. Um, bring on a planner if you feel that that is going to give you a better comfort level. Um, if you are at a venue that, that provides you a comfort level that doesn't require a planner, then that's your decision. There's no right or wrong answers for anything. It's really what you want to do. Certainly look to your, your event professionals to give you guidance. But ultimately the decision is yours and make decisions that fit you and fit your style and, and fit your budget. And uh, um, know that there's no right or wrong. And while there certainly are a lot of traditions that, that uh, individuals follow when planning a wedding, create the wedding that you want, not the wedding that is in textbook, so to speak. Daniel, thank you for sharing all of that great information. And I encourage you to check out the Four Seasons Hotel in Philadelphia when you're planning your Philadelphia wedding. Next, it was off to meet with Carmen Tomasetti from CTO World Entertainment. And Carmen has years of experience in music for weddings. And as you know, music is a key component to any successful wedding. And I wanted to get a sense from Carmen a little bit about his background in the music business. I have personally attended over 600 wedding receptions. Started uh, many moons ago, maybe about 17 years ago, as a piano player, and I always saw a uh, bigger picture, if you will. And I saw that there was a need in the marketplace for some really talented musicians, really talented bands, and I saw that there was a, uh, a uh, market that would really be willing to pay for that. So since then, uh, from a piano player to about 30 bands, uh, we've played uh, in every, every, almost every state on the East Coast, and uh, we just booked a job actually in Argentina. So uh, we, we bring to the table real well-rounded um, knowledge of weddings. And um, what we do is we have showcases where we ask the brides to come out live to actually hear the bands because we feel that that's the best way to um, observe and make a decision on what kind of talent you're looking for. Now, now that's, that's an interesting point that you bring up because a lot of what uh, brides read in the magazines and online, uh, you know, is all about, well, you know, get a tape or get a CD and, and, you know, listen to the band, but then make sure, you know, you ask that, you know, those musicians that you're listening to are the ones that are actually going to be at your wedding. There is really no way to, to guarantee that when you're listening to a CD that those musicians are the actual musicians or, you know, how they truly sound. So, in your opinion, seeing a band live is a critical component in making your decision? Yes, yeah, seeing the band live is a critical uh, component. Um, that's how you could uh, get that visceral feeling if the band's for you or not. But you also need to be comfortable with the company that's producing the band because um, anything could happen in a band. A singer could get in a car accident. And you really want to have a, a, a company, a production company that's behind the band that will fill in the gaps if something were to happen. And, and the the uh, company actually acts like as an insurance policy with all the resources. They ensure that the band stays together, that the band is, is tight in the music industry, as we say. And that's one of the most critical components. Now, when a couple decides about music, you know, we were talking earlier before we went on about how critical music is. It really is one of the few make-it-or-break-it components for a successful wedding reception. Um, you know, there, there are two schools of thought here, and, and you cover both of these, so you're qualified to answer this. Uh, a couple needs to decide, are they going to have a band, a live band, or are they going to have a DJ? Uh, when a couple is deciding that, what are some of the advantages or disadvantages of choosing one over the other? 
Well, clearly, in the majority of the cases, the uh, thing that determines a ban versus a DJ is budget. Um, I like to always uh, think that the band creates the atmosphere alive. The music is being created right there. It's never 100% the same either from a band or when the same band plays the same song twice. With the DJ, while they serve their purposes, uh, you know, if someone's playing a song like Brick House, well, it's the same exact version that the other person got, uh, you know, the night before. Uh, certainly, uh, if you're looking for lounge music and you, let's say, create a, a wedding where there's just lounge tables and chairs and maybe it's a cocktail reception, a DJ might create a nice atmosphere of a club-style uh, atmosphere. And, of course, a DJ can play anything and everything, but the band is what creates the emotion, and it certainly has a lot more cachet to say I had a band or an orchestra at my reception as opposed to a DJ. So then when you get the uh, the resistance where someone says, well, I want you know a DJ because they'll play the song exactly the way it's supposed to be, do you find that guests, I mean, I know that the bride and groom kind of have this in their head, but does that really affect guests? I mean, do you see uh, a difference? You know, will people leave a dance floor because, you know, a band is playing the song a slightly different way than the way it's recorded? No, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think that... Um if the emotion is being created and the band is uh, worthy of its uh, weight, that they could create emotion with, with any song that they play. And, and it's all about the feel that the brand, band brings to the table. Perhaps the band would take a song that might not be as danceable and put their own spin on it and uh, really, really make it more fun and more interesting take a, uh, by, by making it a unique, their own version. Now, do you find that when, when you're out at, you know, at a wedding and, and your, your, your orchestras, your bands are there. So then they're almost custom tailoring the way they're performing a song to the crowd that they're performing it for. Well, that's absolutely the case. A, a band, uh, if they play a song and they find that they're getting 60% of the energy of the crowd, well, they could easily segue that song immediately into another song. And uh, through trial and error, within uh, a minute or a minute and a half, you'll find that sweet spot that the people really uh, are looking for to create that energy. Now, let, let's talk a little bit about music selection. Uh, you know, more so today than I think any other time in history, music is just woven into our lives. We, you know, everyone's walking around with iPods, listening to music all the time. How do you help a couple design what will be played at a wedding. Do you, do you talk about that during the interview process? Well, generally, a, a couple will hear the band, either via the video or live in person, and they hire that band because of the emotion, the energy that's being created. And generally, they will be hiring the band because they like the music that they're playing. That being said, it's important to communicate to uh, your band leader exactly what you're looking for but on the same token you want to give that band leader the ability to to be the professional that you hire them for and that in part is song selection certainly if there are a few songs that you want the band to learn that uh, they can learn those songs for you uh, all of our bands keep uh, current but we also have in our stable some great music that works across the board and again in the selection process that's really where you determine what are the set lists that you want so uh, in wrapping it up, I think it's good to communicate to your band leader without being too controlling on what you're looking for. So then would you, you know, if a couple has a particular taste, then do you, would you encourage more of a do-not playlist rather than a playlist? It's funny that you should say that because that's uh, when I personally talk to clients, that's what I say. I say, tell us exact, look over our song list, tell us exactly what you don't want. And if there are a few, you know, if you have a few songs you want us to uh, play that you don't see on our list, well, let us know about them as well. Okay. Let's shift gears just for a moment and talk a little bit about how a couple might choose music for their ceremony, because you're supplying that as well. It's not all about the party. It's not all about the dancing. It's about the emotion that you're going to create for the ceremony. What do you find to be a good um, combination of instruments that a couple might choose for a ceremony, let's say, that might be taking place in a hotel? Okay. Uh, well, it's funny you should say that because uh, I have to back up a little and tell you we're a production company, so we come up with the ideas, we assemble the musicians, and we create the, uh, the, the acts, basically. And the other night we uh, produced three harps, and we call that tridana, and um, that means three, three females in, in Italian. And uh, we have this great three-harp trio 
that will play the ceremony and it really adds a unique uh, flair because the, the three harps are playing things different and uh, the combination is three times what you would get on one harp. So it's really, it's really something here. Now, is there a consideration that you make, uh, you know, if, a, if let's say a, a couple is having their wedding ceremony outside, what can't you do musically outside that you could only do inside? Or, or can't you? Could you do anything musically outside? Yes, we could do anything inside or outside. There are uh, different conditions when you're outside. For example, if you're having a string quartet outside, you want to make sure there's shade. String uh, players do not like sun. It's not good for their instruments, and some of them won't play if the sun's too strong, and rightfully so. So it's in our agreement with the uh, client that uh, they need a shaded area. Uh, if there are more than 100 people and you have a string quartet, you're going to need amplification. So if you're outside, you're going to need electricity for the amplification. So there are different um, circumstances, but you could pretty much produce anything anywhere as long as the weather holds up, or at least there's a, a tent under which you could uh, be shaded from the elements. Now, let's, let's talk a, a little bit now in terms of size of wedding. Is, is the size of the wedding, does that dictate at all what they need to do musically? Can any band that, that you have, any size band, play for any size crowd? Yes, any band that we have can do that. Uh, we're very conscientious about volume. A sound person, a sound tech goes out with each uh, orchestra or band and makes sure that the volume is correct. Now, um, it really depends on what the couple's looking for. If you're looking for this real impact and, you know, you only have 90 people at your wedding, so if you have a 12-piece band, that's really going to make a statement. But certainly a trio can entertain a 300-person uh, group as long as you have the right sound system. A trio could easily, uh, you know, you know uh, entertain an entire group, especially these days if they're using some computer technology to aid them, and a trio can sound like an 18-piece orchestra. Now, one of the things, one of the trends that, that I see now in, in wedding receptions uh, is the idea of an after party, of having the, you know, the big reception now kind of you know, morph into something a little bit more intimate, a little bit more low-key. What might you design for a couple who wants to you know, kind of shift gears and have a, an after party, a, a mellower kind of a situation? What would you bring in in that, in that situation? Well, there would be two suggestions that I would suggest with that. Either a jazz trio with a sultry torch singer, preferably a, a female performing some old standards with an upright bass, something that's really mellow, or create a lounge environment with what we call as a spinologist, we don't like the word DJ, with a spinologist, and maybe some ambient light and uh, some uh, projecting of videos of images to uh, take it down a notch as opposed to what Emerald says, <laughs> up a notch. <laughs> so, so basically, you know, live music can be uh, tailored to just about any wedding situation. Uh, there isn't any right or wrong, it's whatever the couple really wants to have. What would be your best advice that you can offer our listeners when they're first starting out and planning for the music for their wedding? Well, the most important thing that I would say is listening to what other brides have, have, have to say and other recommendations from either a caterer, from a videographer, from a photographer. You want people who have firsthand experience and firsthand knowledge with this company, with these groups. Um, secondly, if you can, you should hear them live. If you can't hear them live, certainly a video is the uh, next best way to go. But those three things, what I would say any one of those three would be critical prior to hiring one of your groups. Carmen, thank you for sharing all of that great information. And, of course, you can go to our website and check out the show notes for this podcast, and there'll be a link for CTO World Entertainment right there. Our next stop was the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, where we spoke with Molly Rothgary, who is the Director of Public Relations. Now, the Ritz-Carlton in Philadelphia is in a magnificent building, and when you walk in there, you can't help but just gasp at the beauty of it. And I asked Molly to tell us a little bit about the building that houses the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. 
The Ritz-Carlton is so pleased to presently be the steward of this amazing structure. It is two in a million. It is a scale replica of the Pantheon in Rome. And so when you walk into our lobby, there's just immediately a sense of history sort of is, the, is, is, is so pervasive. And you're standing in a, the lobby's breathtaking. It's a 140-foot dome structure, and you're standing in 19 million pounds of marble. And the, the chance to sort of have that as, at your disposal on a wedding weekend is, is is literally two in a million and I can tell you they're not having any, any weddings at the Pantheon in Rome so this is your shot <laughs> this is the place to do it if right. you want that replica now I mean the Ritz-Carlton has you know a reputation uh, unlike any other uh, talk to us a little bit about the the wedding experience uh, at at the Ritz-Carlton especially here in Philadelphia what is that experience like for a couple Sure, and it's interesting that you, you know, immediately the word experience comes up. The word experience is very important in the Ritz-Carlton lexicon because this is not just about um, a wedding. This is not just about, you know, your nuptials and the hors d'oeuvres and about, you know, where your hotel room is going to be. What what Ritz-Carlton prides themselves on and what our real commodity is is the experience. This is we're in a brand full of experiences, and it's... Um, we, we try to stay away from this sense that, you know, it's just a, a, a good that we are selling. It's not a cut and dry item. It is the intangibles. And that goes right from the, you know, the experience of planning your wedding and making your food selections and having a beautiful tasting and ultimately having a beautiful presentation for your guest. But what it also means is the emotional experience of planning your wedding and having the an expert to guide you and having somebody who's an expert in the sales process and structuring that for you and then you're seamlessly transferred to somebody who's an expert in the in the, the service aspect and the actual execution of your wedding day but it's all of the ancillary things it's the possibility of having a great cigar smoker night for the um, you know for the the groomsmen it's the possibility of a bridal shower that is also at the Ritz Carlton it's the possibility of the brunch the day after it's the possibility of the honeymoon. We exist to serve, and we exist to continually delight and refresh your senses with a series of experiences. So that's, I mean, it, it really is a big question to ask what the Ritz-Carlton experience means. And, and I think that is so important, you know. Uh, you know, it, in life, you know, it's wonderful to, to, to have that, that level of service. But especially for a wedding, being one of the most emotional things that you'll experience in your life, to have that level of service, uh, people at your disposal that you know will do whatever you need to, to get done. When a couple visits the hotel for the first time in, in wanting to have their wedding here, what are some of the first steps that you take them through um, in the hotel in, in, in helping them plan that, mm -hmm. that experience? Well, a good um, seasoned wedding professional, um, the, the first person who you would you know, ultimately have contact would be somebody who was a, an expert in, in, in obviously the discipline of sales. This is somebody who will hopefully ask you questions that you haven't thought of. I mean, y you think you know how many people are coming and you think you know the tone that you want to set for your wedding, but do you know how religious you want your ceremony? Do you know if you want it here? Do you know if your faith calls for it to be at a church? Do you know the ins and outs of, you know, whether a Friday night would be an acceptable alternative for you? Do you know, you know, are there other things that you consider that pertain to, to season or to location or to where your guests are coming from and what airport transfer, transfers would be like? The, the, you know, the first point of contact here is hopefully going to be not just, you know, quotidian and, you know, what do you need and how can we fill that need, but what have you not thought of? And that's, you know, that is the beginning of the service experience is, you know, drawing out those questions and things that you, you, you probably haven't thought of, and that's what a good wedding professional does for you. That's, that's true because, you know, you may have a, a certain idea in your mind from either the magazines you read or, or the Internet, but that, you know, is not always everything that you need to think of. Uh, and I know when I, when I speak to brides, I always encourage them, you know, if they're getting ready for, you know, the wedding, to, to be in a hotel because all of the little things are there. If you need a towel or you need more shampoo or something, it's, it's there and you don't have to send your mother running uh, to do that. Now, let's talk a little bit about, the, you know, Philadelphia itself and, and being here in, in Center City in, in, the, in the heart of one of the most historical cities in the country. Um, how do you here at the, at the Ritz tie in the city to the whole wedding experience? 
Well, we are fortunate to be in the very center of Center City. We are literally directly at William's, William Penn's feet. We're, we're right in front of City Hall um, at the very end of the Avenue of the Arts at Broad and Chestnut. And um, the, the, the city is everything, you know, the, the, the vitality and the heartbeat. And it's what so many girls have envisioned since they were little girls. It's the sophistication and glamour of a city wedding. And, and Philadelphia, that used to mean about two venues. And the, just the choices and the sort of the level of formality has simply exploded and the options that are available to people. Um, but yet with that said, within certain faith traditions and with you know, certain parameters that people still want to get married in, you still need some expert guidance because your choices are still limited by that. Um, so that's, you know, the, the proximity that we have to, um, to, for example, Catholic churches and the setup that we have to enable us to do, um, a, you know, a Jewish wedding in, in traditional and non-traditional ways is absolutely unparalleled. Um, so the, the city experience is, it, it's sort of, it's everything to to a Ritz-Carlton Philadelphia wedding um, because we're, we are just so, the, just the vitality of the city and the heartbeat of the city is, is so obvious in everything that happens here. And those great shots of the, you know, the brides and grooms kissing and throwing rose petals in front of City Hall, that was invented right outside of our building. So <laughs> we, we owe a, a great debt to the city. That's great. Now, what about the chefs here at the hotel? Do they try and incorporate some of the uh, tradition, the, the, the food that, that was born here in the city. Uh, does that get worked into the menu sometimes? You know, I'll tell you, um, Philadelphia does not have, um, as I think we can all admit by now, sort of a highbrow national or international reputation for, um, for the foods that hail from here. You know, those in the know are frequently mentioning us in, you know, in the top three and five restaurant destinations in the country. But as for the food that was born here, our dear friend, the cheesesteak and the hoagie, um, it's, it's funny. People find, they weave Philadelphia favorites into their wedding celebrations in such lovely ways. You know, fresh baked soft pretzels at a brunch or in a welcome bag for people or you know sometimes after the wedding is over you know if it's if it's a huge blowout celebration frequently at 1 30 in the morning we're doing a cheesesteak and hoagie buffet um, and you know incorporating some of the uh, you know the, the Pats and Gino's traditions um, into people's weddings in humorous ways I mean it, it really is touching and dear that somebody has you know done ice sculptures and served beautiful champagne and had foie gras at their weddings and then you know five hours later they're giving a nod to, to Philly cheesesteaks so it, it is kind of dear. And, you know, the, the tasty cakes always find their way into the welcome bag. And, you know, the, um, you know, just uh, Goldberg's peanut shoes and things that were really born here, um, they do tend to find their ways into, into weddings for Philly people. Right. Yeah. Now, is there a Philadelphia bride? Is, is there, you know, who gets married here in Philadelphia? Is it people from Philadelphia or are you finding people from out of the area? Oh, um, a loaded question indeed. Um, the secret's out about Philadelphia. The secret's out in D.C., the secret's out in Boston, the secret's out in New York, that this is a wonderful, affordable, yet incredibly chic destination. Um, you know, we owe, the whole city owes a great debt to our Convention and Visitors Bureau and to GPTMC, the Greater Philadelphia Tourism and Marketing. Um, efforts to sort of highlight our city as an amazing destination for anybody from the Northeast Corridor for any reason, even nationally and internationally. But to that extent, the marketing has also worked in the wedding market as well. The secret's out that this is affordable. Uh, we see a, a huge number of brides coming in from New York and some now from D.C. just because the accommodation and the travel are are so friendly compared, you know, if you have family coming in from, you know, Sheboygan and Detroit, and this can some, sometimes be a much more comfortable landing for people than is trying to pay for a hotel room in New York City and for, the, you know, the taxis and the transfers and everything. So we have a huge out-of-town component who are married here. With that said, the city is near and dear to brides who are raised in the city, grooms who are raised in the city, people from the suburbs. Um, it's amazing the proportion of people who want to be married at their parishes out in the suburbs and then come downtown, or you know, people who want to you know to have their their wedding in our ballroom because that's what Philadelphia means to them. So there's no simple answer geographically, really. Now, what's the 
the wedding night for, for couples, a couple who gets married here and they've danced the night away and it's 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, I, I'm sure that that wedding night accommodation that, that they have is, is, is amazing. I mean, I know I've stayed at the Ritz-Carlton myself and, and, and it is amazing, an amazing experience. Uh, talk a little bit about what, what you do for the bride and groom. Uh, you know, wedding night, and if, even if they want to extend their stay a few days mm -hmm. here at the hotel afterwards. Well, I'd love to, but it's a closely guarded secret. No, we do um, obviously pride ourselves on one of our service standards is surprising and delighting and meeting uh, even unexpressed wishes and needs of our guests. And by that, we, we seek to surprise and delight. And on the wedding night, there, when a bride and groom return to their suite, it's obviously bedecked with with things that I, I do prefer to keep um, under wraps, but but there are lovely surprises awaiting our brides and our brides and grooms. Um, and what we find is when you say you know extending their stay, that does happen a great deal. While Philadelphia, I, you know, I'd certainly be fibbing if I said it was known as a honeymoon destination. There, there are people getting married at all ages and stages these days. The days of the May and June bride and, you know, being, you know, fresh out of mom and dad's house or fresh out of college, those days are long gone. And people are getting married as busy professionals. People are having second weddings after having grown children. I mean, the, the range of people getting married and, and the ways in which they do are vary a great deal. So what we find is that with you know, life has sort of exploded for some of these people already. They can't, they can't go right on their two-week honeymoon or, or they can't fly right off to Maui. So people sometimes stay here and, you know, they'll stay in one of our presidential or our penthouse suite and they will celebrate the wedding with the honeymoon waiting at some point in the distant future. So sometimes people do extend here and just sort of revel in the celebration that just took place. Molly, thank you so much for sharing all of that great information with us about the Ritz-Carlton. And when you're in the Philadelphia area, you really need to go check out the Ritz-Carlton because it truly is a magnificent hotel in a magnificent building. Our next stop was a visit with Mark Kingsdorf of Queen of Hearts Wedding Consulting. You might have seen Mark on the show, Whose Wedding Is It Anyway? on cable television. Mark truly is an expert at wedding planning in the Philadelphia area. And I wanted Mark to give us a sense of his background in wedding planning. I have about 30 years experience in food and beverage, and that makes me unique in this market from other consultants that may have come from a floral design background or planned their own wedding or a graphic design background. About 48 to 52 percent of the average budget is spent on the reception in the food and beverage. So I've got a great track record with that, not only doing off-premise catering on my own, having worked for the Smithsonian, doing catering there, and also for Hyatt Hotels. So uh, lots of great experience, lots of great tips, and have seen a lot go on behind the scenes. But the other thing that helps is that with that much food and beverage experience, you learn to think on your feet. And it helps a lot the day of a wedding to be able to anticipate things that may go on or see five things going on at the same time. Now, I, I'm a big fan of wedding consultants. In, in my career, uh, I, I've had fabulous relationships with wedding consultants. And a, a lot of the times, you know, brides come to this thinking, well, I can do everything myself. And for some brides, they can. But for most, it's a bit overwhelming. What do you feel when you think about your role in a wedding? What's the thing that comes to your mind in, in terms of your role and, and its importance? How do you feel you help a couple the most as a wedding consultant? Well, I always understand that my job is not to take control of the wedding. It's not my day. It's not my vision. It's not my style. So I'm almost like a travel agent. I, I help a client find what's the best fit for them. Just like a travel agent would listen to a client and find out where they want to go, what they want to do, what they want to see, what their budget is. I do a lot of those same things. My job is to match them up with products and people and personalities that are all going to suit their needs. And to be the voice of reason, there's times that I'm a neutral third party that I need to referee family things that are going on. Uh, I don't ever tell a bride, no, I don't think this is the way you should do it because it's not my day. Short of setting the groom on fire, I'm not going <laughs> to stop her. But 
It may be my job at some point to offer other options that would have a similar end result that may be more cost-effective, may give a little, little better impact to what it is that she's looking to do. Uh, and a lot of times with couples, they're looking at this great big picture and throwing money in a lot of different directions rather than focusing one or two key pieces that are going to make maximum impact that their guests are going to remember. Now, you're the type of wedding consultant who's very involved in the industry. You're, you're a member of, of various associations. You, you know people around the country. You have your finger on the pulse of, of trends and, and the way things unfold in weddings. When you think about Philadelphia as, as a, 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 a place in the country, is there a, a Philadelphia bride? What, what do you envision when you think of Philadelphia and, and brides? There are a lot of Philadelphia brides, not one stereotypical, because Philadelphia is a melting pot to begin with. There are a lot of different ethnicities here, so brides bring a lot of that to their wedding. Um, it's very cosmopolitan. We're sandwiched between New York City and Washington, D.C. And I only do weddings in the Philadelphia area. I don't do destination. And when people come to me with products or services and say, oh, we've got this great service or this great product, and my answer is normally... I like to work with people that are wedding professionals or have products that I can meet face-to-face -face with, that if there's an issue, I can go and talk to them, and brides appreciate that. And being sandwiched here, if you can't find it between New York and Washington, D.C., you're not going to find it. And Philly draws a lot of different types of brides because there are historic venues that have an old-world look to them. There are contemporary buildings. The Kimmel Center here is a great space to do smaller receptions, and it's glass, and it's steel, and it's up in the air, and you're right in the middle of this great symphony hall. There are other um, warehouse spaces that are just trendy and cutting edge and a blank palette. Plus the fact that you have the accessibility to some of the best photographers, videographers, floral designers in, in the region, in Philadelphia, and you can pull it all together with whatever your specific look is. It's not going to be cookie cutter. And I'm finding that there are brides, especially from New York City, who would spend twice as much easily on a wedding, who are coming down to the Philadelphia area and getting more bang for their buck. They're doing some suburban weddings in historic places out in the country, inns and bed and breakfasts, and having something different than they can get in New York that's uniquely Philly that's uniquely historical and and saving a lot of money that way. So there's lots of options here. So now as brides plan their weddings here in Philadelphia, you know, certainly when you mention the history and this is, you know, one of the most historical places in the country. Are you finding that brides will lean towards that do they, you know, enjoy incorporating that history into the weddings themselves? It depends a lot on their personal taste. I mean, there are brides definitely that come here that are looking to use some of the older mansions, bed and breakfast, whatever, for their event, whether it be ceremony or reception. Some of the old historic churches and synagogues are just amazing here, so that gives them options. There are definitely brides on the other end of the spectrum that are looking to be married on the river, that are looking to be married down the shore, that are still considered Philly region brides, and we offer a little bit of everything. There can be historic, there can be um, urban chic, there can be Jersey Shore, there can be up in the mountains in the Poconos, and that's all Philly region with a lot of different, um, different areas that they can spread out into based on their personality. Now, when you first meet with a couple and they're starting to, to plan the wedding, how do you proceed? What are some of the first steps that you take with a couple when you're helping them plan the wedding? First thing I do is shut up and listen. And that's not always the easiest thing to do, but couples will tell you everything that you need to know about their wedding, their style, and their budget if you let them. If you ask a couple, how did you meet? What do you see your wedding looking like? Tell me how your families responded when you got engaged. They're going to tell you a lot of the dynamics that I need to know to help refer wedding professionals, help find them sites, uh, products, personalize the wedding. A lot of what I do is picking out things in the bride and groom's personalities, hobbies, um, careers that 
kind of spill over into representing them the day of the wedding to personalize it. So it's not cookie cutter. Most brides and grooms are in six, eight, ten weddings before or after their wedding, and they don't want their wedding to look like everyone else's. So my job is to really listen, hone in, and not only find them things that match their price, but match their style. And wedding professionals that match their personality is a big part of it. You want a couple to be relaxed and comfortable with the people that they're working with. Now, does that surprise a lot of couples that that that's your approach, that you really are, are presenting them with ideas that are based on what you're gleaning from, from their own personalities? Or do they come to you with, with that desire? I would imagine most of them are kind of, you know, surprised at that approach because it is rather unique. I think some of them are surprised. I think that more times than not, couples come in not knowing what to expect. They're half worried that a wedding consultant is going to take over the process and say, oh, I see this is your style and you need to do this color and this is trendy and, and pull those stops out instead of listening and, and pulling it together. So I, I surprised, not necessarily. I think they just don't quite know what to expect in general going into the process. They've never been there before. And I hear more brides say to me, I, I, I've never done this before. It's my first wedding. Well, that, that's pretty typical, but I hear the statement all the time. In terms of, of trends uh, that you're seeing, l- let's talk a little bit about food because this is a food town. You know, you can get any kind of food, any style, the best in the world, and, and you know, you can have cheesesteaks on the corner. What are, are some food trends that you're seeing, something uh, unusual that, that a bright bride might choose to have uh, beyond the, you know, the traditional types of food? What, what types of things are you seeing? I'm seeing a little bit of everything. I have couples that are doing an Asian theme, a Latino theme, are doing a Latino-Asian fusion. Uh, Cuban food is really cool because we've got a couple great Cuban restaurants here in town. Uh, Because of Chinatown and the Southeast Asian area that's growing up near the Italian market, you can get anything that you want here. And brides are running the gamut. I'm seeing brides that are doing full-blown five-course meals with wine and doing really very traditional things. And then as guests leave, having cheesesteaks that were brought in for them to take with them or having soft pretzels for them to take with them. Um, I see people that are doing some of the warehouse spaces, more contemporary spaces, and are choosing to do very high-style, clean-line trendy food, funky ice carvings, um, lots with lights, lots with um, really contemporary shapes and and shocking colors. So again, it it runs the gamut. There is a little bit of everything here for everybody. Now, are you seeing a lot of color in weddings? Is it getting away from the traditional and and just seeing the vibrance of of, of color? Uh, Huge amounts of color. Um, A couple years ago, I was seeing brides that were doing really shocking, bold shades of yellows, oranges, pinks for their reception. Their personal flowers were a little bit more muted, and then I was seeing church flowers or synagogue flowers that were very, very sedate, almost still pastel shades of the shocking colors. Now when I'm working with brides, I'm doing church ceremonies, and we are doing these screaming green colors from Cymbidian orchids and they're mixing in chocolate browns and pinks and really bold colors all the way around. You're involved with something called Let Them Eat Cake uh, here in Philadelphia. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, I have a history with um, raising money for breast cancer funding, a research for breast cancer. Um, My mother passed away of breast cancer 20 years ago and I've always been very involved. City of Hope has a wonderful Uh, Cancer Research Center in California. And Harry was looking to do a wedding-related event. And between my ties to the wedding industry and my history in food, I wanted to do something that was really fun. And brides all love trying wedding cake. Everybody loves eating wedding cake. But there's always been a dichotomy that if it's really pretty, that it doesn't taste good. And if it tastes good, it's probably kind of schleppy looking. And we dispelled that myth. The first year, we had 20 pastry chefs from the greater Philadelphia area all compete. We had some students competing. And the deal was that you brought the cake in. It was a complete 
blind judging by a panel of eight judges. We took the tops off and displayed the anniversary top that you would normally cut, and then we cut and served the rest of the cake to a room full of brides and foodies, and we had a great time. We raised a bunch of money. Year two, we had Peggy Post here from the Emily Post Institute who did a book signing, and we always have a wonderful band uh, a lot of the wedding professionals have really stepped up. The band and the photographer that we had prior to year one are ready to commit for year three already. So we're looking at incorporating some new and different things. We have a date for April of next year. We try to stay in that time frame. And um, we're looking to just see it grow. And I've been approached by colleagues of mine from all over the country, from the Hamptons to New England to Florida that want to do a similar event in those areas. Well, it, it's certainly a, a worthwhile cause, and, and we are uh, at Wedding Podcast Network uh, supporters of, of, of breast cancer research uh, as well. So we, we think that's a worthy cause and certainly something that we could uh, see covering uh, when that comes up again uh, and report on that for the network. So um, we'd be happy to do that. Before we, we close, why don't you uh, share with our listeners one bit of, of special advice in planning their wedding, if you could tell them anything that might help them plan a, a stress-free or a less stressful wedding, what would it be? Well, as far as the planning process, you're the only one that's ever going to take it as seriously as you do. Your family, your friends, your bridesmaids are never going to be 100% on board. It, it just doesn't happen. It, it's a vision that rolls around in most brides' brains. And as soon as you accept that reality, um, the disappointments aren't nearly as bad during the planning process. The other part of that is that you need to remember that parents in-laws especially, are really well-meaning. They're looking out for your best interest. There's a whole dynamic that goes on between generations with mothers and daughters and future mother-in-laws and daughters and visions of a wedding day. And if you learn that you just want to be polite, tell them thank you, you value their opinion, and that you'll see where it fits into the big scheme, you're going to be related to these people for a very long time, and you really don't want to make an issue over one or two specific points. For the day of, when you go around to greet your guests, stay together as a couple. It goes much faster, and you feel like you've spent the evening together. Drink a big glass of water sometime around your cake cutting because you'll feel much better by the end of the night. You won't feel dehydrated. And when you get that cake top home, cut it into 12 pieces, wrap them individually, freeze them individually, and have one slice a month on your monthly anniversary for the first year. You will enjoy it much more. It gives you landmarks along the way, and you don't have to worry about having something that may be possibly freezer burned at the end of the year and being kind of a downer when you finally unwrap it. This way you get to enjoy it. Mark, thank you so much for sharing all of that great information. I just love the idea of cutting your wedding cake top into 12 pieces and enjoying it for a full year. I think that's a fabulous idea. If you have any questions uh, or comments about anything you heard on the show today, you can send us an email. Our email address is feedback at the WPN.com or you can call our listener hotline at 800-882-1259. Thank you again to all of our wedding masters in Philadelphia, Carrie Denny, Daniel Briones, Carmen Tomasetti, Molly Rothgary, and Mark Kingsdorf. Uh, you can come to our website. In the show notes, we will have links to everyone that we spoke with in our show today so that you can, can visit it. Uh, of course, our website is weddingpodcastnetwork.com, and you have been listening to a very special edition of Meet the Masters in Philadelphia. I'm Robert Allen, and we'll see you next time.